Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. In a weekend that saw champions declared in Germany, France, things remain neck and neck in Italy after Milan left it late against Lazio, but got the job done to keep a nose in front of Inter. Liverpool rule Merseyside, Barcelona Camp New crisis deepens, Betis are in dreamland, and that's just for starters. The Kegelasso Weekend Recap begins right now. Hey everyone, I'm Michael LaHood hosting today's K Golasso. Shout out to LME. He will be back shortly, but you got me. And of course, you can't have me without my partner in crime. And he's looking menacing with his kid on today. Mr. Jonathan Johnson. JJ, how you doing? Hey there, good. Thanks, my friend. And yourself? Ah oh, man, went for a run. I couldn't believe some of the scores from these weekend matches and just had to dust off my own personal crisis happening at Old Trafford, but we'll get to that much later. We're going to start in Serie A. Lots to talk about. We'll begin with the match that finished up not too long ago, Lazio versus Milan. First off, what did you feel? How, how, what was your take going into this match between these two teams? I mean, I think we spoke about it in the, in the preview last week. Uh, sorry, uh, earlier this week. And, it, it felt like one of those games where it really could have easily been very difficult for Milan and was right up until the very end. Uh, they could have dropped points. They haven't. It's kept them alive in the title race. It just still feels like it's uh, inters to lose. Though. I mean, especially when you look at those fixtures that they've got remaining. I mean, it is a very favorable run in. I mean, you know, where things you know, can often be more difficult than they look on paper. But at this moment in time, it really does look like it's Inter's to lose. But, uh, you know, credit to Milan. They fought until the end. Uh, you know, I really wasn't surprised that Lazio took the lead. Um, and, you know, I kind of, I think I was alluding to this in the in the preview podcast where it's almost like Milan needs to be challenged and then react to mm. that. They're better at doing the chasing than setting the pace themselves. And I think ultimately in this title race, they'll probably pay for that. Uh, but it seems like they're going to force it to go down to the wire. And like I said, at this moment in time, it does seem like Inter are in the driving seat. But, you know, if Milan can keep that determination, that grit alive until the end of the season then you know they could force this title race to go to you know the final match days already mm. i love what you said about that of needing to be the team that's chasing versus the team that's leading the pack a player who i thought stood out that we hadn't called his name for a while and i have the biggest man crush soccer crush i mean excuse me over is leal just his ability to show up in games he was missing for a long period of time in previous games. But in this game, I thought he was a difference maker setting up that first goal for Olivier Giroud. What do you make of his performances as of late and his, his growth this season as a player? Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a really good point because Liao, and then there's a lot of people, I mean, if you're following the match sort of 
half on Twitter, half watching the game uh, as, as I was. There's a lot of people discussing sort of the difference that Liao can make, you know, once he really gets involved, once he's implicated. Uh, I mean, I saw him, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when he was playing for Lille and, you know, there, there were flashes, there were moments of, of brilliance, that explosiveness that, that makes him such a rare talent. Uh, you know, but you rarely get to see it in, you know, a really consistent, sustained period of form. Uh, we, he still has that issue now with Milan. I think he's getting better at actually sort of making those moments where he does, uh, you know, uh, contribute, you know, really count. But, uh, you know, I think Milan are going to need more of that from him between now and the end of the season if they're to keep these uh, title hopes alive. I, I agree with you. I think that he's so important. And I think something else as well that makes him so important in that setup is when you look at sort of him in that tandem with, with Giroud, you know, there, there's a lot of older, more experienced players in that Milan side. Uh, you know, and he's one of the younger, more vibrant ones. And I think he brings this dynamism that the, the Milan need now. Uh, and obviously they're going to need in the future as well when guys like Giroud can, can no longer keep going. Because I know that we love to think that he's this, uh, you know, eternal character who's going to play forever. Same with Zlatan as well. But, you know, the, 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 the truth is that, you know, these guys aren't going to be around forever. And Liao is going to be the future for Milan uh, in attack at some point. And, you know, I think he needs to continue to, to grow, continue to develop and just, you know, really channel, uh, you know, these kind of performances, these kind of contributions, uh, you know, so that he can make the most uh, of, of his uh, impressive talent. Mm, and Rafa Cardenas agrees with you, saying it's Inter's title to lose, easier running. A player who I, I was disappointed in this match, especially early on, was Diaz, number 10. In the match between Milan and Inter, when Milan won the first installment of the Derby that we saw in 2022, I thought he was electric. He was a player who was playing with a lot to prove and a point to prove. But when you talk about the elder statesmen in Giroud and Ibrahimovic, they were both involved. In both goals, Giroud scoring the goal and Ibra, it was his header that led to Tonali banging that in. Do you see this as a lifeline for Ibra setting up that assist? I don't think that Zlatan is the kind of player who needs, uh, you know, to be thrown a lifeline. I mean, judging by what he's been saying on social media lately, a lot of people speculating whether it might be better for him to retire. I think that's given him a bit more fire in the belly and that perhaps makes the difference for him because he's somebody who really thrives on that. It's almost like you need to criticize him, you need to poke the beast, mm. uh, you know, really get him to, to stir and give a, a reaction. It's true that I don't think that he... Um, you know, is as effective for Milan now as as he was before. I do think he's finally starting to, you know, age is kind of finally catching up with him. But I think there's probably another year or two left to squeeze out of him, whether that's with Milan or whether that's somewhere else. You know, maybe he goes back home to Sweden to finish his career and write his legend, uh, you know, with Malmo or some, uh, somebody like that. You know, we'll just have to wait and see. But I do think between now and the end of the season, you know, if you've got a motivated Zlatan, as, as he obviously is, uh, you know, then that could really be, uh, you know, a, a, a strong weapon to use. I mean, especially when you've got guys with so much experience in these kind of run-ins like Slatans, like Giroud, uh, you know, and I think as well, sort of on the topic of, of players who have found it difficult recently uh, for Milan, you, you mentioned Brian Diaz. I thought Tomori as well, uh, you know, really struggled at fault early on for the goal. Um, and I think that there's quite a few players in this Milan side now who, 
are going to need to step up. It's almost like that, uh, you know, that that opening goal for Lazio was a bit of a wake-up call. We've seen them need that a couple of times over the course of the season. And Pioli, he's done a fantastic job. He's been battling a lot of elements yeah. with Milan this season. But I think he really needs his players now to, to step up and, and realise that they can't make any more mistakes. They can't slip up because Inter, I mean, for them to be dropping points and, and not making the most of that game in hand that they have, it's almost going to be a miracle. I mean, I guess, you know, even worst mm. case scenario for Inter, if we're looking at these fixtures right now, is that they draw and then that puts them a level on points with Milan with the same amount of games played. We'll see how that uh, shakes out eventually. But I do think that, you know, there is a lot of experience now in this Milan squad from guys like Zlatan, uh, you know, and, you know, they really shouldn't be accepting, uh, you know, any more of this sort of, I wouldn't really necessarily call it inconsistency, but it's almost like a complacency, uh, you know, which allows, uh, you know, Lazio's to to take the lead against you. They really need to put their foot down now, uh, you know, and and try to earn maximum points between now and the end of the season to keep that pressure on Inter right until the end. Well, speaking of expectations, to close this out, would finishing second place be just a disappointing season for Milan? Or do you hold your head up high and say, we're building something? I mean, in many ways, they can hold their head up high and say their building thing is, but also at the same time, you know, they are they not kind of fed up with this scenario happening? Uh, you know, yeah. we've seen them in a really, really good position uh, in Serie A last season and Inter ended up romping to the title in the end, which, I mean, I wouldn't say it's unforgivable, but, you know, Milan shouldn't have been throwing away the lead that they had uh, sort of around the winter break time. And yeah. it's, yeah, I, I think that, you know, really... It, it would feel like a bit of a disappointment, especially given the amount of time that Milan have spent at the top of the table this season, uh, you know, for them to just settle for for second again. But then again, I don't think many people would have expected it to be Inter, uh, you know, pushing them all the way, given, you know, the difficulties they encountered, all of the changes that, that, that has been made since last season. You know, so I think that, you know, there are mitigating circumstances and I don't think it would be an absolute failure for Milan if they finish second. But I do think that they will feel frustrated and, and almost like two good opportunities now, uh, you know, to finally claim the Scudetto once again have passed them by. Mm. And to switch to their rivals, their immortal enemies, not you, Juve, but the other guys, the blue side of Milan, Inter Milan. This was a marquee matchup and Inter played first. They had kind of the benefit of playing before Milan played to see who was going to jostle for that pole position in Syria. Inter looked good. You could not fault them. Almost flawless performance. What do you make of how they set up in this match against Jose Mourinho's Roma? Yeah, I mean, this this one was a game that I expected Roma to run into more closely in. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a bit disappointing in the end that Inter were allowed to, you know, to, to to run away with the win the way they did. But also at the same time, you know, Roma have been one of those really inconsistent sides this season. Sometimes they can look great. Sometimes, uh, you know, they they kind of just fall apart and they, you know, unexpectedly go down against teams that you you would fancy them against normally. Uh, you know, and I think Inter did set up well uh, for this one. Obviously, it's a, an, an emotionally charged game when you're coming up against Jose Mourinho, all the success that he had uh, with the Nenets already back in Italy now with Roma. But at the same time, you know, I think credit to, to Simone Inzaghi. He's done a really, really good job uh, with this squad. A lot of changes made uh, since last season, like I said. And, you know, the way that he's managed to get this squad 
you know, together reading from the same hymn sheet in such a short space mm-hmm. of time to be able to to put in this sort of sustained uh, title push, especially over this second half uh, of the season, has been uh, really impressive. And you look at some of the contributions from some of the players, Chalanoglu, uh, you know, obviously a key part of that Milan side that ultimately yeah. threw the title away last season, uh, you know, coming up big in this one. Uh, you know, and it's, it, I, I think it's very, very difficult now to see past Inter uh, you know, especially when you've got someone like Martinez, you know, who really is uh, on, f- in, you know, on fire uh, in front of goal at this moment in time. When you've got somebody, you know, who who looks like they're going to score pretty much every time they take to the pitch, it's uh, you know that that's a really big plus. And I think as well, that's a very solid midfield that, that, that we're looking at as well. And Inter, I mean, I, I spoke a lot about Milan's uh, experience, but Inter have a lot of experienced guys as well. Uh, you know, they still manage to keep you know, a fairly decent core of the team that won the title last season. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think that, you know, credit to to Inzaghi, he's managed to, to keep that continuity going. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I, I still find it difficult to see past Inter for this title. When you look at that lineup, what I thought was incredible was tactically how they set up. Inzaghi outsmarted Mourinho in utilizing the fullbacks. Denzel Dumfries, the initial goal that he scored, I mean, just blistering pace. A guy who is linked to a one Tottenham Hotspur. I wish Benj was here to hear those words again. I just want to plaster it all over his bedroom. But that's for another show and another time. Um, Just do you think, I guess, when, when do you think that the, the pendulum swung in Milan's favor because they, they look like a team reborn since probably April started. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's difficult really to, to, to put your finger on exactly when it happened, but I think for Inter, once they started to find a bit of that form, and I think as well, part of this is also down to the fact that, you know, we saw Napoli make such a strong start to the season. You know, they looked great. They looked like they were going to be the team that set the pace and they've completely fallen away over the course of the season. I mean, because of the crazy nature, uh, you know, of this title battle, they've sort of been allowed back into it uh, at times. But they, you know, they they looked like they were going to run away with it at one point. And Inter, you know, were just basically, uh, you know, scrambling, trying to trying to catch up with them. While Milan were were also, you know, sort of among the the pace setters. And I think it was at that moment when. Inter first reeled in Milan uh, and Napoli. That's when the pendulum started to to swing. And ever since then, Inter have been there or thereabouts, uh, you know, and and never looked too far away from this title race. I mean, I know that they've also opened up a gap and then had that uh, eaten away at by the other teams. Uh, You know, but for Inter to find themselves in this situation, uh, you know, if we'd been talking about this sort of a couple of months into the season, it didn't look likely uh, that, yeah. that Inter were going to be able to successfully defend their title. Yeah, well said. And Jose Mourinho, after this game, a beloved son of Inter, beloved manager of Inter that won that treble in 2010, had this to say, I love Inter and Inter loves me. Now that we won't play Inter Milan, Napoli or Juventus anymore, I can say I'd like Inter to win the league. Bold words from the Roman manager, truly beaten by who could be the champions and defending champions of Serie A this year. A team you mentioned, Napoli, and Dan Kane asked a great question. How will Napoli respond to blowing today's lead? Did you watch that game? And, and if you did, what did you see? And how did that how did that come about? It just seems like a bit of crisis happening in Naples. 
Yeah, I didn't see it happening uh, in real time, but you know, looking at uh, the way that it came about and and seeing the goals back afterwards, it's you know, it's almost like just a complete uh, collapse. Um, you know, mentally. I mean, obviously, I'm sort of used to seeing this kind of thing happen from PSG in the Champions League. <laughs> uh, you know, not so much uh, in uh, in Serie A, but I think you know, for for now, I mean, as well. When you bear in mind the the run of form that Empoli have been on, they haven't won mm. since an unexpected victory against Napoli. I think it was something like 16 games without mm. a win. And then oh. for Napoli to be away from home, 2-0 up, because, you know, we also, I think we discussed in the preview pod that their home form is really worrying. It's be, almost been their away form that's been sustaining them. So for them to go into these final 10 minutes uh, and then to throw it away like that, I mean, it was it, it was really shocking. And I think the key one was the two goals in the space of, of three minutes, which brought Napoli, uh, you know, from two goals up to, to suddenly being pegged back to 2-2. And I think at that moment, you know, you see the 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 belief. Uh, you know, the the wind going out of the 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 Napoli sails. There's been a lot of uh, speculation recently. Uh, you know about uh, you know Napoli's leadership, whether Spalletti has fallen out with yeah. uh, De Laurentiis as well. So it's it doesn't seem like the the happiest of places at this moment in time. And once again. It feels like Napoli have blown a very, very good chance to to finally win some silverware, which we, which is becoming a, a bit of a recurring uh, theme uh, over the last couple of seasons now. Well, crisis pending in Naples, so much so that they came out and said this. The club has decided from Tuesday when training resumes, the team will go to a permanent into permanent retreat, which is I've never heard of that before. Maybe it's something that you know as a, a former player those are the type of things that I never really liked when the higher ups come down and issue a statement or issue some sort of closing of the guard to the rest of the community, the rest of the world. Um, do you know anything about that? The background to that? I mean, there's something that happens from time to time in Italy. Uh, Ritiro is, you know, it's kind of almost like for teams in crisis, especially those, mm. you know, in the shakeup for the title who suddenly lose a bit of form. So it's not unheard of. To me, it just—I I struggle to see why. Why? Why do you do it now? Because it almost, yeah, yeah. like you said, it almost ratchets up the pressure on the players because they're already now facing an uphill battle to try and, you know, win back ground. They, like Milan, are going to be dependent on what happens in that Inter Milan uh, game in hand, uh, you know, and also then trying to to play catch up based on however many points Inter managed to to put themselves clear at that point. And it's, you know, it just feels. A bit futile to to me, really. It's almost like the damage has been done, and I think that's one of those results where you know you might look back at the end of the season and say that's finally the moment where they stopped believing. And you know, for me at this moment in time, it seems like that's going to be the one that that kills Napoli, uh, unfortunately. But you know, they they have suffered a lot uh, over the yeah. last couple of months in terms of form, and you look at that home form; it's not good enough for a title-winning side. Yeah, to be a strong contender for a title, you have to be strong at home. You see in every top league in Europe, a couple guys on Napoli who may not be there, Victor Osimhen, getting a lot of attention from around the world, and Irving Lozano and obviously Insigne moving to MLS this summer. Do you see this as kind of the last hurrah for that core group of Napoli players who have been there for a few seasons now? Yeah, I definitely do think that there is going to be an opportunity now for Napoli to move some guys on. 
I have to be honest, I don't think that moving on guys like Insigne and Mertens is necessarily the worst thing. Uh, obviously, two players who've given a lot to the club uh, over the years uh, and and deserve to be recognised for that. But they, they're almost holding uh, Napoli back. I mean, another reason why they found themselves in such difficult form was that injury to Ozyman uh, a few mm. months ago, which threatened yeah. to keep him out of the Africa Cup of Nations, came at a time when he was in a really hot vein of form. But... Their, their squad options, especially in attack, they were so thin. Uh, you know, once they had to rely on guys like Mertens and Insigne to, to be providing goals game in, game out, uh, you know, that's when they started to be in a bit of difficulty this season. So, you know, I do think that there is definitely going to be some change needed. I'm just curious to know sort of how deep, you know, that potential rift between Spalletti and, and De Laurentiis goes because, you know, if there really are issues at the top, once again, Napoli are going to be changing manager uh, and somebody else is going to be brought in, tasked with the the same mission, but might not necessarily get sort of the backing that he needs, especially when you've got key names like Insigne uh, moving on and, you know, you've got a, basically a geriatric Mertens, uh, you know, to, to also mm. decide his future with as well. Oh, those are strong words, JJ. Geriatric. I love it. That jersey is just just coursing confidence in your veins. Dan asked if Juventus will leap Napoli into third. Juve, a team that's back on the ascendancy a bit, lost their way after that loss to Villarreal. Do you think they have what it takes to leapfrog uh, Napoli in third? You know what? It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I think that Napoli will ultimately end up finishing in the top four, but it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if they drop down and finish the lowest of uh, of those four teams. It all really depends now, uh, you know, on whether Juve can close the gap. Uh, you know, I think we'll we'll have a clearer picture, obviously, once all of those teams have played uh, their games in hand. But uh, you know, I do I do fancy Juve to, to to crack the top three at some point. I mean, especially if Napoli's confidence just continues to dip. I think their reaction uh, to this uh, ritiro is is going to be very interesting because that will ultimately, I think, decide whether they can still finish in in third, perhaps even you know snatch second, uh, and whether they just drop down to to fourth. I think at, the, at this moment in time, it would be very ambitious of them to to target anything other than third. And I think they'll feel very disappointed if they do end up dropping to fourth. But like I said, it really wouldn't surprise me. Speaking of Juventus, you can catch them versus Sassuolo tomorrow on Paramount Plus. At I'm so used to Central Time, I would give you East Coasters some love because in America everything is around the East Coast. Two forty-five p.m. Eastern, one forty-five p.m. Central for the lucky few in the Central Time Zone. And the tie bow on Syria. Let's look. Start at the top and work our way towards the bottom. Interesting turn of events. Salernitana getting the shock win against Fiorentina, a team that had a chance to take advantage of La Roma's loss today. I think you brought that up in our weekend preview. JJ, is there something happening at the bottom of the table there? You know what? I, I think there very may well be now. Uh, you know, I did I did bring it up in the preview pod at the very end uh, and said it was a game to watch out for. And, you know, to see Salernitana, you know, pick up the points now, that's nine consecutively. You know, they, they almost look like they couldn't buy a win uh, at, at one point this season. And now you're looking at those those final fixtures and 
you know, you actually fancy Selena Tana to, to be able to pull this off. They're definitely in the best position. Three out of four of their remaining games are going to be at home where the fans, you know, create a, a crazy atmosphere. You look at the way that they were celebrating those unexpected three points against Fiorentina. And, you know, they believe now they, you know, they, they, nobody gave them. A, I mean, let's, let's also not forget that around the winter break, Salernitana might have even just dropped out of the league completely. They were they were on the verge of bankruptcy, got bought out at the last moment, made a raft of changes to the squad in, in January. So it's taken time to gel them. And then suddenly they find themselves in this situation now where they are better equipped, to, you know, at least uh, in terms of their immediate position than the likes of Genoa and Venezia, uh, you know, to, to pull this off. I mean... Genoa have really, really struggled this season. Yeah. I can't see them uh, surviving. Uh, and I couldn't see Salernitana, uh, you know, pulling it off until very, very recently. But now when you look at that form that they've put together, those games that they've got remaining, uh, especially the fact that they're going to clash with Cagliari, who are just above them in the table, I really think that this could happen. And if they if they manage to to take points off of Cagliari, uh, I think they'll, uh, they'll stay up. And you, you have to like they're running Atalanta next on Monday, May 2nd. But then they're playing against a lot of the teams. They're up against Venezia at the bottom of the barrel. Calgary, as you said, Empoli and Udinese. Calgary, they have two of the top four teams they face, Napoli being one of them. And, I mean, just amazing storyline. And that's what you love about Serie A. So much happening from the top title race in our hands, Champions League race, and now a storyline at the bottom with relegation battles to boot. I think that's it for Serie A. Now shifting over to the UEFA Champions League. Big matchups coming up. Start with Tuesday's matchup, Real Madrid versus Manchester City. Both teams getting a win. Madrid beating Osasuna 3-1 to at the weekend. Not the sexiest of matchups, not the sexiest of games, but Madrid getting it done again. How do you think they line up against this Manchester City team? I I, I have to be careful when I'm talking about Real Madrid every time because <laughs> I, I really wasn't blown away by them when I saw them in both legs against PSG yet. Here they are in the semifinals uh, and they've managed to dump out Chelsea as well. So much of, of what Real do uh, depends on Karim Benzema. So as long as he's fit and in form, you know, Real will have a chance. You know, they're really riding on his coattails, it feels, at times, especially in the Champions League. I mean, two consecutive hat-tricks in massive matches against PSG and Chelsea. Uh, but, I, you know, you're looking at the, the, the potential team news coming into this one. Real really need Casemiro back, I think, in this one to really stand a chance against City. He's such a key player uh, in that midfield, and I think they really struggle without him. I mean, Alaba, uh, you know, I know both of them have been, you know, considered doubts heading into this game. I think that they could probably, you know, cope better with Alaba out of the out of the squad than uh, than Casemiro. For me, Casemiro would be a huge, huge miss. Mendy as well. They've I mean they've been sort of used to dealing without him uh, in some of these big games. Uh, you know, he's suspended against PSG, for example. So I think Casemiro is the one that they would really miss. Uh, you know, if uh, if he ultimately isn't able to play against City, because that that at least gives them a chance uh, of competing in the in the middle of the park. I still fancy City. Uh, you know, for this one over two legs. But like I said, when you've got Benzema in the kind of form that he's in this season, you know, anything yeah. could happen in this kind of game, especially if Pep Guardiola, uh, you know, overthinks things as he as he loves <laughs> to do at this stage of the Champions League. <laughs> 
Well, talk about Kareem Benzema. He did something he hadn't done in a long while. He missed a penalty kick at the weekend. Do you see that affecting him in any way going into this stage of the Champions League? Uh, it was two penalties, I think, in like the space of like five minutes or something like that. But I mean, yes and no. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he'll be frustrated that he missed, you know, the such a good opportunity to to add an additional goal to his tally. But also at the same time, when you look at the the the, the confidence that's been flowing through him in recent weeks, some of the goals that he scores when they're not penalties, it's almost like you know you could take him off penalty duty and he'd still score. Uh, yeah. A, a massive amount of goals uh, and still be the talismanic figure for Real Madrid that he is. So, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be a, a risk of, uh, you know, your star striker losing a bit of confidence if they if they fail to score from the spot. But also at the end of the day, uh, I mean, so much of Benzema's game, uh, you know, gives him chances to score from open play that I don't really think spot kicks matter as much, uh, you know, to, to his game than other, uh, you know, high scoring players. And then their opponent, Manchester City, just quick touch on that. Gabriel Jesus, a guy who had been struggling in front of goal, really steps up against Watford. Do you think that he can be a reliable piece for Pep Guardiola in this tie? Or was that just he did what he had to do and you know he steps up to the plate? I mean, he's definitely a guy who can contribute on, on any given day. It really depends sort of, you know, on his mood. Uh, you know, sort of how it takes him uh, on on that day, how involved he gets. Uh, you know, but I, I definitely think you know that that sort of free scoring form is is, is going to help coming into uh, in, into such a big game. But also at the same time, you know, I don't think we should read too much into City absolutely annihilating a, a pretty poor Watford side. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think that. Even even though uh, you know Jesus has has banged in uh, banged in a few there. I don't think that necessarily means that he's nailed on uh, to start in this game. You know, sure, I'm I'm sure it'll definitely buy him at least a cameo appearance from the bench. But, uh, you know, I don't think it necessarily will have factored into Guardiola's thinking because I think he will have been considering what moves he makes, uh, you know, coming into this game basically since the draw was made. Mm. Tasty matchup between those two. You can catch it on CBS Sports 3 p.m. Eastern. Yet again, we'll leave the central time zone out of it. We'll bring GMT next week, JJ, for you and Benji, but 3 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports. And also, there's another semifinal tie, Liverpool versus Villarreal. Villarreal not playing at the weekend, but they took care of business against Valencia 2-0, going up against a Liverpool team coming off the Merseyside derby. Liverpool taking care of business. And Valencia, or Villarreal is going to be well-rested for that match. You can catch it on Wednesday on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports at 3 p.m. Now, time for a break. Stay tuned for more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ole, 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 ole. If you're wondering why I'm oleing, the man to the right of your screen is why. Congratulations, not just to Real Betis. 
But congratulations to Jonathan Johnson. JJ, you are a Betis fan, not just for K Golasso purposes, but you're not not fan. Anyone that has a coffee mug that has Real Betis and living in just Europe alone, you have to be a fan. What did that win mean to you as a Betis fan? Uh, it's huge. Uh, you know, I think it, it, there's so many things to like uh, about the Betis story. I mean, I was saying in the in the preview pod, it would be a huge, huge story for them, a massive achievement. Uh, you know, for them to get it done in the way that they did, I mean, you, you know, look at what it meant to, to Joaquin. I mean, Joaquin is, is basically the reason why I started following Betis, uh, you know, two decades ago, bought this shirt. It's still serving me well now, uh, you know, and, and to see him at, at, at this at this age, I mean, there's just, there's just so much of this Betis success story and the reason why people, you know, are, are falling in love with a club who, who, you know, who weren't necessarily following them before is down to this guy. Uh, I mean, it's not all down to him, obviously, because it is a very family-oriented club uh you know there there is a real passion a, a fervor that, that you don't find in many places in europe but also when you have somebody uh, you know who is so you know legendary uh you know yeah. for a club like a living club legend who's still playing uh you know it uh, obviously always helps and there's there's so many great uh you know facets to to this story you know pellegrini once again working wonders with you know perhaps what you'd consider maybe a a second tier club not one of the the the, the spanish elites but a club you know that that can challenge for, for for silverware in its own right from time to time and to see them you know winning a trophy uh you know a, a couple of decades on after the last one when Joaquin was in his early 20s uh, you know, it's just a, a fantastic thing to see. And there's, you know, there's family connections as well. You've got Berrin, uh, you know, whose dad is a, a massive Betis fan. Uh, it's honestly, it's just wonderful to see. I mean, a uh, shame, obviously, for, for Valencia, uh, you know, who have given those of us who, you know, fantastic memories from, from Spanish football over the last couple of decades. But, you know, it always felt, at least to me, uh, maybe that's my Betis bias speaking, that their, their name was on the trophy before this match was played. Obviously, it went all the way to penalties, very dramatic, uh, especially given how late it is, even in uh, even in Europe. But uh, I don't know. It just felt like it was meant to be. Mm, someone who had that feeling going into the game, I'm sure, but didn't turn out that it was meant to be for him. U.S. men's national team fans, look away. We're about to talk about Yunus Musa, a player who I'm very fond of watching the U.S. men's national team, but a player who stepped up for penalty kicks, young player, and didn't go his way. What do you make of him as a player? Have you gotten to watch him much playing for Valencia or the U.S., JJ? I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily that I'm I'm an expert on uh, his game, but obviously I know that he's a very talented player. Uh, you know, another great talent that the USMNT has uh, at its disposal. Um, and I think as well, Valencia themselves uh, as a team, uh, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic there because Bordelas, we know what he managed to achieve with Hetafe, and now with Valencia, despite the fact that they seemingly routinely have these fire sales which see a lot of the the, the most talented players leave for mind-bogglingly low fees mm. they you know they, they they have players who can play a type of aesthetically pleasing football that you don't necessarily associate with the coach and uh you know with 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 musa i mean i think it's always difficult uh you know sort of assessing a player just after they've missed a, a key penalty kick but I mean I guess one guy who I'd use perhaps as an example you know 
you know, sort of a, as a pick-me-up to, to Musa, who's managed to go on to massive things after missing an important penalty, is Christopher Nkunku skied his penalty yeah. uh, in the Coupe de France mm-hmm. final a couple of years ago when PSG lost to Rennes. And now look at him at uh, RB Leipzig, uh, you know, one of the form players in Europe. Uh, you know, and I think for, for Musa, it's something that he shouldn't necessarily let, uh, you know, him himself get weighed down by it doesn't change the fact that he is a very talented player uh you know and hopefully the, there's a, there's bigger and better things for him to come in the next couple of years well just when you thought it couldn't get worse for us mnt players in la liga barcelona playing against rio vallecano a team that on paper they should have beaten but you can't go with what's on paper Sergio dest getting exposed for the opener barcelona getting exposed for their home form, their third straight loss at home, especially including that Europa League exit, shock Europa League exit to Frankfurt, to some, not all, I call that game. What do you make of this home struggle for Barcelona? I mean, it's it, it's difficult to analyze because Barca, at times under Xavi, have looked great, and other at other times they've looked a bit more like themselves under Koeman. And I think that's just part and parcel of so many changes being made mid-season. You know, I definitely think that there is a spring back in their step now. I don't think some of the drop points recently, uh, you know, will have really made a difference ultimately in the title race. I felt that was beyond the months ago, uh, you know, before things really started to pick up under Xavi. Uh, You know, I do think that, you know, going out to to Frankfurt in the Europa League would have been a bit of a hit. Sure, at the beginning of the season, Barcelona wouldn't have been planning to, to try and win the Europa League because they would have seen themselves in the Champions League. But, you know, I do think perhaps, you know, some of the the shine uh, you know, of the, of the of the recent upturn in form has been taken off by a few of the the most recent results. I and mean, I don't know if I would necessarily you know put it all on one player, you know, and, and leave it at Dest's door, you know, because I think ultimately they are uh, a work in progress as a team. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some very very promising signs there, and I don't think that everything should be thrown. Uh, in the waste paper bin just because of, uh, you know, a couple of disappointing results. Ultimately, the way that they've managed to turn around this season uh, in sh- such a short space of time bodes well. Uh, and I definitely think they'll be stronger next campaign. And also, you know, I think many people forget just how good Raya Vallecano were at the beginning of this season uh, under yeah. a very good Andoni Iraola, who's had a fantastic start to his managerial career. Uh, you know, sure, uh, you know, on paper, Barcelona shouldn't be dropping points against teams like that. But also at the same time, you know, they're not the only team to have fallen foul uh, of Vallecano this season. It's just because Vallecano have dropped off uh, quite a lot since the beginning of the campaign that, you know, it perhaps feels like, uh, a massively shock result. Mm. Well, over from La Liga, we're going to shift to close to your neck of the woods. Go on, England, and the Premier League. <laughs> Today's big match, the Merseyside Derby, Liverpool versus Everton, 2-0 to the Reds. What did you see in that game? I, I, I remember coming in, settling in on the couch, turning on the telly for a minute, just the kickoff. And thinking, all right, this is going to be just the typical Merseyside derby. And it was flat. What would you see for you, JJ? Yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think a lot of that is down to the fact that, you know, Liverpool are in a really 
you know, highly charged period of their season at the moment. They've got important games left, right and centre. <clears throat> and we spoke about this, uh, you know, in the in the preview pod. On paper, you know, Liverpool was so much stronger than Everton. This was going to be one of those awkward games where, you know, Liverpool could be tempted to, to rest a few players and Everton would be giving it everything that they could. Uh, you know, I think that ultimately, the, you know, the Toffees, uh, you know, didn't give a bad account of themselves. Impressed with Anthony Gordon once again. Uh, I think he's definitely the best thing about this this Everton side right now. But you know, Everton, the the situation just seems to get worse and worse. And although I don't think many of us would have put money uh, on Burnley turning it around after getting rid of Sean Dyche, suddenly uh, you know the the momentum in this relegation battle has shifted. And once again, Everton find themselves needing to pick up uh, unexpected points from somewhere. And Although, you know, we might have expected them to be absolutely destroyed and, and swept aside uh, by Liverpool in the same way that, you know, United were a couple of days ago. It's, uh, I, I mean, you know, they had so many reasons to be motivated uh, in this game, Everton. And uh, I think, to be honest, coming away with just a 2-0 defeat is probably one of the better scenarios they could have hoped for, even if it took until fairly late on for, for Liverpool to make that breakthrough through the unexpected mastery of Divock Origi as well, who just seems to have yeah. this ability to to change this game in in Liverpool's favor every time he plays against Everton but uh no i mean yeah i agree with you it perhaps wasn't the wasn't the the most riveting game that any of us would have tuned into over the weekend but also at the same time you know liverpool just needed to get that result done they yeah. needed the points just to keep the pressure on uh city and also to keep that momentum going uh into that champions league clash with real because although we didn't chat about it you know, Villarreal, we saw the value of, uh, you know, Unai Emery changing his entire 11 ahead of that second leg mm. against Bayern Munich. Uh, and I think we're going to see the difference that, you know, his players being rested makes again, coming up against the Liverpool side that, you know, as as well equipped as they are, you know, this is a very testing period of the season for any uh, squad when you're challenging for, for silverware on multiple fronts. I just think of the depth. We talk about it week in and week out for Liverpool being able to bring in a player like Luis Diaz, I, I just I love what I see from this guy each match. He finds a way whether he's starting. And as a United fan, I'm having nightmares, and our back line is having <laughs> nightmares about him of what could have been had we utilized a January transfer window to get a player like him and not splash cash. But we'll get to that very soon. Just that touch that he had, crossfield ball over to him, and then just the swag to just bring his leg up and get it behind Neymar-esque. As a, if I'm a defender, I'm running out of the stadium ground. Forget back to my goal. I don't want no business <laughs> about that guy. And Divock Rigi, as you said, just the right player for this sort of game. If you look at the standings, Man City, because they won 80 points, Liverpool on 79, but something that could be a key talking point, goal difference for the Premier League. Liverpool at plus 63 Manchester City at plus 59. Keep an eye on that as this season moves forward. The relegation battle, we touched on Everton. The mighty Burnley getting a big result. What a difference a few weeks makes. What did you see that Burnley did that got them this result? I mean, I think uh, the, the interesting thing about this is that the when I was reading a lot about the sort of the reasons behind, uh, you know, Sean Dyche being being let go of, 
uh, it was basically the things started to feel like they'd gone a bit stale uh, with him. It was the same methods over and over, year after year. And it, it obviously it had taken Burnley extremely far given their resources. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, there there comes a moment where that stops working and you you need new ideas, fresh impetus. Uh, you know, and, and Burnley reached that moment. Uh, you know, they've made the change, they they've taken the risk. And at this moment in time, they're being rewarded for it. Whether it ultimately pays off, we'll have to wait and see. But I don't think they would have expected to see themselves in the position that they're in at the moment, uh, you know, because that table is suddenly looking pretty good to them, uh, given the recent points that they've managed to pick up. I mean, the other thing as well is at this moment in the season, it's it's often a question of timing. Sometimes teams go to try and get that uh, new manager bounce. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's working for Burnley at this moment in time, whether it actually sort of, you know, they managed to put it off and, and stay up this season. We'll have to wait and see, but obviously it's a, a great start to, to his managerial career for, for Mike Jackson at senior level. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he absolutely must, uh, you know, get the job on a permanent basis. I think Burnley would be well advised to wait and see how this relegation battle plays out. Yeah. But, you know, so much of this is just about confidence, about playing on, uh, you know, momentum, Burnley have it, Everton don't suddenly. So, you know, there, there's going to have to be either a major change. I don't know. Maybe Everton feel like they need to try and get uh, a new manager bounce later on in the season. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation about Lampard, whether he might be dismissed, you know, fairly quickly. You know, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But look at Leeds as well. Uh, you know, made the change, uh, brought in Jesse Marsh and suddenly they're, you know, heading towards safety, uh, which many people wouldn't have predicted, uh, you know, before Marsh was appointed. So, you know, it's working out for Burnley and Leeds right now. The change uh, to bring in Lampard hasn't worked out for Everton so far. Will they stick? Will they twist? We'll have to wait and see, but it doesn't look good uh, for Everton right now. Uh, and Burnley playing your favorite and LME's favorite, Aston Villa as well. <laughs> so may not look good for yeah. Villa, but Burnley are turning things around as well. Shifting over a London Derby, Chelsea versus the Hammers, West Ham. West Ham, just confidence, oozing confidence after that Europa League win to get them to this semifinal round, going up against a Chelsea team that seemed to be just collapsing. Chelsea, though, they get the result behind the goal of who? Can you say it again? I know he's kind of lambasted <laughs> in the UK. Can you say his name just loud and clear? Yeah, man. Christian Pulisic. There we go. Pulisic. Pulisic. So <laughs> just take us through what happened. I mean, th this game I felt like had a, had a bit of everything. It was a game that if you, if you were looking for a blockbuster matchup and just silky smooth soccer, this wasn't it. But at the end of the day, just the implications of this game, the tension was there. You could feel it. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there, there is always going to be that needle, uh, you know, being a London derby, uh, and also as well, uh, you know, given where both teams are in the table, Chelsea's form dropping off as well. You know, it did, didn't surprise me that it was, you know, one of those games where it was ultimately decided by one goal, uh, and it took a while for that goal to to arrive as well. Obviously, it could have been uh, a lot more comfortable for Chelsea had uh, Jorginho scored from the the penalty spot uh, you know he seems to fluff his lines more often than he does actually uh, convert these chances these days so it's um yeah it was it, it was a very interesting uh and intriguing match to to see uh 
uh, you know, play out. And yeah, ultimately Chelsea managed to to get the points uh, late on. But you know, I think now West Ham's focus uh, is going to be changing, or it would have been changing ever since they booked that semi final berth in the Europa League. You know, for them to potentially be on the cusp of winning some silverware, some European silverware, you know, it is a a really rare occasion for them. Uh, and I think understandably that that may well take some of their focus between now and the end of the season, at least around, uh, you know, the next couple of weeks when they have the two legs of, uh, of, of those semifinals. So I don't know, perhaps, uh, you know, that was, you know, perhaps maybe a, a last rally from West Ham uh, in, in terms of their push in the Premier League. And now they're going to be placing more focus on the Europa League. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. When you look at that lineup that they put out, Declan Rice on the bench, Miguel Antonio on the bench, so many regular starters on the bench. Clear sign that Europa League semifinals is their focus. They have a good opportunity to possibly leapfrog my favorite team, becoming my least favorite team right now. And my therapist told me I only have one minute to talk about them on Kego Lasso. So here's my one-minute rant. We're going to move to Manchester United, Arsenal. You didn't think I was going to leave that game without touching on it. I saved the best for last for the EPL. JJ, before I lose my mind, what happened? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not been a a good couple of weeks, uh, you know, for United fans, despite uh, the fact that, you know, that Ten Hag has now been appointed. It's all official. It's all out there. You can start planning for next season. Uh, It's, you know, Arsenal wanted to be facing United at this moment in time. And that performance, that result is, is exactly the reason why United, United, they they just they, they don't want to be there. They you know want they want the season to the end of the season to come as quickly as possible. Go off on their holidays, come back, uh, you know, and, and find uh, Ten Hag there, uh, you know, at the training grounds, the beginning of uh, next preseason, uh, you know, starting to to make decisions about the the future and where they go. It's you know there's this, I mean, there's just such a, a lack of commitment investment uh you know from the that group of players they they, they just don't want to be there it's it's as simple as that and, it, and you know they they play like they are just you know disinterested <laughs> and don <laughs> we see we hear the manchester united shout couldn't agree jj even more but we're gonna we have to appease those who love this show and support this show don we aren't gonna leave you hanging behind Newcastle was the other game I was going to give a shout out to the Magpies rejuvenated revolutionized and Eddie Howe getting the best out of this team three nil win against Norwich and their investments paying off new manager new players new Newcastle do you think that this is a taste of things to come for next season. I mean, I think it's a, a positive step towards the future for them, for sure. And I, I know that our uh, our own Jimmy Conrad, uh, you know, is, <laughs> is crazy about the the Magpies and and is delighted about what's happening with Eddie Howe at this moment in time. I'll, I'll admit, uh, I didn't expect him to have this sort of impact on them, uh, you know. But you look at the momentum that they're enjoying at the moment, and you know, it could well uh, carry them into the top half of the table by the end of the season. Jimmy was saying how much of a, a fantastic achievement it would be for them if they managed to pull it off. And you wouldn't bet against them at the moment, the way that they're playing. You know, they've managed to get the monkey off of their back in terms of battling relegation. And once they, you know, had their heads above water and saw that you've got teams like uh, Everton, Burnley, Leeds at that moment, you know, around them struggling, they they managed to, to make the most of it. And I, you know, it really wouldn't surprise me to see them now 
you know, consolidate that uh, that place that they have just in the top half of the table. You know, we touched on Villa earlier. I'm I'm not confident Villa are going to uh, string mm. together enough points uh, between now and the end of the season to finish in the top half of the table. And I think Newcastle, given the form that they're in, uh, you know, are much more deserving of uh, of finishing in uh, in that kind of placement at this moment in time, given the turnaround uh, since Eddie Howe was appointed. Yeah, love the shout for Newcastle finishing in the top half. They're currently ninth in the Premier League, so congrats to them. Congrats to you, Jimmy. Don't say that that often, apart from <laughs> off air. Now, nah, I have much respect for you, Jimmy. You know that. And last but not least, I have to talk about Tottenham Hotspurs. Just when you think Tottenham have a grip on fourth place, Brentford happens. <laughs> Will they or won't they for fourth place? <laughs> Is the Spurs or Spuds? Which which team are we going to get to see all the way to the end, JJ? Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out now, uh, especially given that there's suddenly a lot of speculation in France that, that Conte is pushing uh, to to replace Pochettino as uh, as PSG coach, and that Pochettino might make a return to Spurs, sort Ooh. of as part of that exchange. I mean, whether or not it happens, you know, what are what are the Spurs squad going to make of, uh, of of this speculation, given that they've you know they've shown glimpses of quality uh, under Conte, but you know they they still struggle for that consistency. Like you said, just when it started to look good, suddenly they throw away. Uh, you know the, the the good position they put themselves in, uh, and I, I don't know. It really feels like. I mean, if I'm basing it just on the on the the, the most recent results and Arsenal's pick up in form, I I think Spurs may well just miss out. Mm, man. I've got some angry friends in San Antonio that watch this show that are going to be (laughs) pissed because you're telling the truth, JJ. I agree with you. This is the first show where we agree on so many things. It must be the jersey and the coffee (laughs) mug. The full moon came out recently, so it must be that too. Gosh, you have to go to League 1, your favorite other league outside of La Liga and the Premier League. There's, well, not a new champion, but the same old champion. PSG, they win Liga, but they don't win the game. They get the 1-1 draw against Lons. Lionel Messi getting the goal. Is this kind of a, a small feather in their cap for PSG, or do you celebrate this if you're a PSG fan? Well, I mean, that's uh, that's a good question because there were a lot of PSG fans who weren't celebrating it, and that's caused a bit of controversy over here. I mean... I, I I did predict in the in the in the preview part that this would be a tight one. I thought that PSG would probably just get the points. I'm happy for Lance that the they they did manage to come away with a point because it keeps them alive in that race for Europe, which has thickened over the weekend, especially with Strasbourg losing to to Lille as well, last season's champions. I mean, it was just a matter of time when PSG got it confirmed. But I think. Uh, you know, the scenes that greeted, uh, you know, full time, uh, it, it was a very bizarre experience. I'll say that I was at the stadium yeah. um, and, you know, to be in that kind of atmosphere where, you know, PSG have just confirmed a record equaling 10th league on title yet, you know, the fans are unhappy, uh, unhappy with the way the club's being run uh, and sort of plus with the fact that that trophy has been confirmed. Honestly, it's 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 very very bizarre and almost unique in its weirdness. Um, 
So it's honestly, I'm really curious to see what the next couple of weeks hold. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of speculation uh, about whether Pochettino is going to immediately be moved on. Leonardo, yeah. was, uh, the sporting director, was speaking after the game, hinted that the future for PSG may not include him as well. Uh, Kylian Mbappe's future still has to be resolved. PSG looking to make some strong moves to, to impress him. So really, I think, uh, you know, we were just waiting for this confirmation to actually see what PSG will do because it was never in doubt that they were going to win uh, the, this this season, given yeah. the the early advantage they worked up for themselves. But as we know, the important, the the most important thing, the focus at PSG is on the Champions League, and they majorly failed at that this season. Failed in the Coupe de France as well. So that is PSG's season over now. How do they move on? What's the first move that they do? Who's the first domino to fall? It sounds like it's going to be Pochettino. Well, if Pochettino falls, Pochettino goes out to champion, winning his first league champion, and he does it with his former club, PSG. But should he go? Antonio Conte rumored to be very interested in that job. I think back to that press conference he held when Spurs just were in that roller coaster vein of form. They just were getting it going again, and he just looked distraught, and he said, paraphrased, maybe I expect too much. I asked too much of my players. I'm a winner. I want to win things. My ambition won't change. Very ambitious project if he takes on the mantle and steps into the head coaching job for PSG. From one league champion to another, we are going to close it out with a one Mia San Mia. Bayern Munich doing it in style. Der Klassiker, something to play for between these two. And Bayern getting the 3-1 victory over their arch rivals, Borussia Dortmund. 10th league title in a row. Never been done before. First team in Europe to ever do that. It's Bayern Munich. Is this something to celebrate for them versus a PSG? Or is it Champions League frustrations? They're the talking point. I mean, I think it is something to, to celebrate more than PSG. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I love. I know that Bayern love to sort of ram it down our throats. You know how they are. You know such a, a, a well-run club, and they don't sort of benefit from the same financial backing uh, that a PSG do. But also at the same time, you know, you really at, at, at some moment you have to respect the institution, the the, the Bayern are. And yes, they are majorly. Uh, dominant in the in the Bundesliga, but uh, you know they've built up that dominance over years and years and years. And I think you see the levels between Bayern and PSG in terms of being European elites. Bayern have won ten titles in a row. PSG have won ton, ten titles ever. Uh, you know that's you know quite a good uh, you know way of sort of seeing the you know that balance of power, but. As we've been saying about Bayern recently, is there about to be a shift in power? Because there's only so far that, you know, dominating a league like the the Bundesliga uh, and sort of the ownership models, uh, you know, of of German clubs, you know, will allow them to go in Europe, especially when you look at, you know, some of the the, the, the moneyed clubs that, that are going to be competing for these European titles, uh, you know, in the next couple of years. And, you know, City may well win it this year. PSG will definitely come again. Newcastle might even come into the reckoning now with their Saudi backing. So, you know, there's many reasons to, you know, to sort of feel like maybe this is the dying of the light uh, for Bayern. You know, we expected them to kick on after their 2020 success. They haven't, uh, you know, and despite the fact that they remain dominant uh, in the Bundesliga, 
they've started to regress a bit in the Champions League. Will we see them arrest that uh, slide in form uh, ahead of next season? We'll have to wait and see. A lot depends on the decisions that they make. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not really filled with that much optimism for Bayern at this moment Mm. in time. I don't understand why they're talking about tying down Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller, both of them to new contracts and keeping Robert Lewandowski. Unless it's all just a bluff to try and get as much money as possible and extract uh, yeah. you know, maximum cash for somebody like Lewandowski this summer because it definitely sounds like he's not convinced that his future uh, lies there. So for me, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic achievement for Bayern. We may well not see that repeated uh, in Europe anytime soon, certainly not in one of the uh, you know the the top leagues where there is more competition for the titles. I mean, even even in France, where Lille won it last season, uh, you yeah. know Monaco won it a few years back as well. PSG don't have it all their own way in the same way that Bayern do. So you know, for me, I think kudos to to Bayern, fantastic achievement, but don't let uh, you know that domestic success sort of pull the cotton wool over the eyes of the fact that they are really now under pressure to rejuvenate themselves, uh, you know, to give Europe another push. Yeah, I love what you said about the ownership model. I think at some point that needs to be challenged and changed. Bayern, they benefit from so many of players coming from other teams because they're the richest club in Germany. And if you look at the players on their team right now, Sabitzer at RB Leipzig coming to Bayern. Hey, he's going to be yeah. sold this summer, apparently. <laughs> hey, you know what? I hope it's it's with a team that's, that's in Manchester. Not City, though. We could use anyone in the midfield, but I'm sure someone will take his hey, you've signature. got uh, you, You've got Van der Beek coming back. Who? <laughs> no, Donny. <laughs> no, Donny's a good player. He's got his manager back. But I, you look at some of the players they benefited from, and they've really benefited from getting players within the Bundesliga because a lot of other clubs, the rest of the league, are selling clubs. So should that be changed? I think you'll, it'll actually drive Bayern forward and make them a better team, more competitive team in Europe because now you have to compete week in and week out. You just The Bundesliga isn't just a, an afterthought, and your focus isn't on the Champions League. And one more thing that I want to sneak in there Speaking of Bundesliga, shout out to this competitive nature of all the teams. Just may not have a title race, but between third place to eighth, this was one of the craziest weekends I'd seen in a league in a, in a while. Leverkusen getting a win. Patrick Schick coming back. And Schick, the second leading goal scorer in the Bundesliga, you're not going to do much if you're Leverkusen without him. But RB Leipzig... They were up 1-0 against Union Berlin. They had beaten Union Berlin in the German Cup semifinal, 2-1. You want to guess the score of the game? I mean, I know it, I know it finished 2-1, <laughs> but it's a, very, it's a very good point. And I, I agree with you, I think, as well. The, the Bundesliga, you know, for, for, for its faults that we've just discussed with, with Bayern being able to be so dominant, it does provide some, some very high-quality football. I think the way that a lot of the clubs conduct themselves um, in terms of transfers as well, in terms of doing their business, uh, is is admirable. Uh, and I think that it, it is a league with a bit more potential than it than it perhaps shows because of that mm. uh, dominance. I think it's uh, you know a, a, a very worthy point that you make there. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really interesting to see the likes of what happens with a Christian Cuckoo who is reported to be staying at RB Leipzig, but money talks at the end, and so do ambitious clubs. 
That's it for today. JJ, thank you so much for coming on. You are a team player, and congratulations yet again to you, Real Betty, Spaniel Pellegrini, and the green half of Seville. And I'm Michael Ahood. I do what I do, yapping at the microphone. I think we'll be seeing each other again sometime this week, maybe Tuesday. Uh, sounds very likely. Yes. Well, looking Champions forward to League, that. Yeah. Champions League right, live recap Tuesday and Wednesday, immediately following the semifinal matchups. This has been Kay Golasso, Weekend Recap. Have a good weekend.